You're listening to Upstream, the software supply chain security podcast. Brought to you by Encore. Hi there and welcome. I'm Kim Wines, host of Upstream, a podcast for those curious about the security of the software supply chain. In each episode, we talk with experts, practitioners, and thought leaders about concrete ideas and approaches to improve software supply chain security. This podcast is for everyone, both inside and outside the world of security. On this show, we highlight ways we can work together to protect the software that we all depend on. With spring in the air, the days seem sunnier and more cheerful now that the trees and flowers are coming back to life. What's one thing about spring that you enjoy most, Josh Bressers? Oh, I wish spring would come. It's <laughs> The weather where I live has been awful. But I will say, in all seriousness, the thing I look forward to the most is I love riding my bicycle outside a road bike, and yes. I have a, a, a stationary bike in my basement. And it's just every day I look at the weather and think, like, please warm up so I can go outside and ride my bike. That's I, I You have no idea how excited I am for that. Well, I love outdoor cycling and I despise indoor cycling. So you're a better person than me that you can continue to ride indoors. Well, that's just so when I get on my bike, I can actually ride it. That is my payoff for staying in shape. (laughs) Well, we're going to have to go for a road bike ride together sometime. Awesome. Maybe the back roads of Wisconsin. <laughs> well, I always think of wedding season in the spring. And fun fact, I was at a wedding a week and a half ago and caught COVID. So now I'm going to think Ouch. of weddings and COVID. But I am recovering now. And good, in good. fact, our guest on the show today just tied the knot earlier this month. So congratulations on that. And he's someone that spent 17 years in active duty as a programmer for the Air Force. And he's made the ranks of Federal Computer Week's top 100 list, and today serves as the Chief Information Security Officer at Platform One. Matt Houston, thanks for joining us on Upstream. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So Matt, you've worked on U.S. Department of Defense programs, including Kessel Run, Space Camp, and now Platform One, which includes Iron Bank. For our listeners who are not conversant with all of the government acronyms and the creative naming that you guys like to come up with for your programs, can you explain what these programs are all about and why they're important? Absolutely. Uh, So within the Air Force, we have had a career field for software developers for several years. Um, Unfortunately, uh, we have also developed our own practices around that software development that has kept us in a very sequential waterfall style of doing development. So five years ago, what we did is we established a team to really put together an effort, a process in which we could bring the software development within the Air Force into a more modern approach. And that's what all of these software factories, the Kessel Run, Space Camp, Platform One, that's at the the core of what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, So we brought in DevSecOps. So we added the, the little security word in the middle there. So getting the developers tighter in line with security so that way we can then deploy it out into operations, get it in the hands of the warfighters that actually need it. And we're doing so within a continuous integration, continuous delivery style of development and really trying to focus on the agile principles 
to get things out into production at a more steady pace. Not so much get the final product uh, to the warfighter faster, but get the warfighter something that's going to improve the quality of their work. Matt, I want you to tell us a little more about this because I will sp- specifically we can focus on platform one because that's something I'm I'm very familiar with having been involved in it for a while. Now you just rattled off a bunch of terms that I think many of us in the industry are used to hearing on a regular basis, like oh we all have to shift left, we all have to do DevSecOps, and you know more security and more Dev and more Ops and more everything. And I think in a lot of instances we've become cynical to these terms, but what platform one is doing is actually this stuff. I mean it is amazing to me what platform one is actually accomplishing and i would love for you to just explain what platform one is doing and and i will assure the audience like this is not made up crap this is the real (laughs) deal which is phenomenal yeah sure uh so the the main concept uh that josh mentioned is trying to shift security to the left uh back in the old ways that we used to do business is that we would have the requirements come into a team of developers We would spend six to eight months writing the code, and then we would start the security process. We would literally turn the application over to a security manager who would then run some scans using some various tools, uh, and then they would get those results and then hand them back to the engineers. They wouldn't necessarily know all the ins and outs, and there'd be about 4,000 findings for a small application. So, uh, you know, after we had worked on an application for six to eight months, now all of a sudden we have to go back to what we did six months ago to try to figure out what, why there's a security issue, what the concern is, and if it's even, you know, a true positive. Because a number of times it was, you know, more like warnings, like, hey, there might be an issue over here in this piece of code. But I mean, it it was 4,000 findings that we're trying to go through. So trying to prove that it's a true positive or false positive, it took a lot of time. So that would add months onto our schedule to deliver. And it was just horrible. And then after that, we would turn it over to the testers. Uh, So it would spend one to two months with a person manually going through and trying to test out applications before we were able to get it into production. So if you're following along at home on uh, these timelines, we're upwards of 12 months right now and uh, still haven't gotten the application into production because now we have to get into the release queue within DISA or within another hosting agency just waiting to get into their process to actually get something uh, out to the field. What we're doing within these software factories and what Platform One is trying to help standardize is moving all of those features, that those security scans, those tests, all the way to the left. Um, so what that actually looks like from a pragmatic standpoint is that a developer will sit down, they will take a look at what the uh, user actually needs, and then work on the feature set for that need. As they're writing their code, they make a commit into their code repository. And the moment that they do that, it kicks off our continuous integration pipeline. So it starts going through and it's running linters to make sure that there's standardization that's going across that code base. It's uh, going in and running its unit tests to make sure that each function is doing what it needs to. It's going in and testing out the code coverage to see if in general, you know, how much they're focusing on uh, testing of their code. Then it's going into some of the industry standard best practice scanners. Uh, so looking at different code smells, we're getting recommendations. But the important part of all of this is as we're going through each of these different types of scans, it's happening the moment that the developer 
submits for a single feature or a part of that feature. So it's no longer after the application has been made, but rather after a small feature has been submitted. Uh, so now instead of getting 4,000 findings, we're getting maybe five or 10 findings that you know is in the code that we just wrote. Right. So now we have the context. We have that fresh in our minds. I don't have to think six months ago. I can think right now and I can see what's going on in that code. And while my mind's still in that mindset, I'm able to pivot and change to something that may be a better way of doing business. Uh, and then, of course, you know, rolling through the uh, peer review process, whether it be through pair programming or actually submitting to a maintainer, uh, you're getting multiple eyes on code and truly practicing what we've been taught and what we've uh, we knew were the standards that we needed to meet, but actually having processes, guardrails in place to get us where we need to go. Amazing. Well, the cool thing about this to me is typically we've seen the federal government is following behind industry, right? When cloud happened, it took a while for the federal government to be like, okay with cloud and they needed special clouds and more secure clouds. But in this area of DevSecOps, it seems like the programs that you've been working with are really alongside the leaders and helping to lead the way right beside industry innovators. You guys aren't following. You're, you're right there at the forefront. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I have to agree 100%. Like I said, when I was active duty, I felt uh, as if we were uh, pretty far behind in our thinking, in our methodologies. Um, and then we had an opportunity to go out there and just spend a little bit of seed money so we could sit with industry and see what some of the best practices were. Now, the, the key thing uh, that I will say is in this realm, the computer programmers, the developers within the Air Force, there's only 400 of us. Uh, and so having such a small body within such a large enterprise, it's difficult for us to really have a seat at the table, to really uh, have our voice to say, hey, we know what we're doing. Now, this is you know, how we have to adjust our policies. So what we've done within this entire mindset, within this DevSecOps movement that has really picked up a lot of steam since you know we founded uh, Kessel Run and started standing everything up, is that we are looking at the individual's ability. We are focusing on the engineering principles, regardless of rank. Yes, we still need our senior leaders. We still need people who are pushing hard for us. Uh, but when it comes down to actually executing, we don't look at somebody as being a senior airman versus a master sergeant. We have them both sitting at the table, uh, both being uh, providing that valuable insight. Um, you know, we have some very skilled enlisted people or very skilled uh, low ranking officers that come in and they previously worked at, you know, some of the big names like Google or Microsoft. Uh, and we want to bring that talent forward. We don't want them to feel stifled just because, you know, somebody else outranks them. Uh, so I think that's really at the key of the culture that we're trying to establish and what we've really brought up uh, within these different software factories. As you mentioned, you know, I was an enlisted guy. Um, and as uh, we continued to move this process, I became a government civilian uh, and was put into this leadership role just so that way, you know, my ability could really be that push, be that momentum that we're trying to get out there uh, and specifically in the security realm and adjusting our authorization policies uh, to really meet the speed of need that we have within the government. 
So you just mentioned Kessel Run, and this came up, I think, a few times earlier in the conversation as well. Can you explain to us what Kessel Run is? Sure. Uh, so five years ago, we had an experiment um, that was led up by Defense Innovation Unit Experimental, um, and it was really a lieutenant colonel who saw that we had a lot of potential, the, specifically the programming career force, uh, as well as you know some officers that could execute software development in a modern approach uh, to really bring the Air Force forward. So we had an effort that included six of us that went out to San Francisco. Uh, it was a pilot program and it was an experiment. Uh, we went out there, we created an application, we created a process, we created uh, what we coined as the continuous authorization to operate. And we realized that what we had done was working. So we wanted to formalize this and actually make it a formal part of the Air Force. And in doing that, we created an organization called Kessel Run. So Kessel Run uh, was the first software factory that really tried to employ what we had done it during this experiment and then wrap it around the Air Force construct uh, and really try to formalize everything it is that we're doing. I will stress that it is not the first time uh, that an Air Force unit was uh, executing in a DevOps manner or trying to uh, put out agile principles, but rather this was the first organization that was really out in that marketing limelight, right? So really where we were trying to spread the word and really just get the information out, not only to our internal organizations, uh, but the masses. You know, we wanted to partner up with industry. We didn't want to fall behind. Uh, as Kim mentioned, you know, we wanted to be side by side. We even, you know, looked at everything as we were bringing in uh, defense contractors and putting people um, in to the organization, we wanted to be badgeless. I wanted to sit side by side with various different contracting organizations and not know that they were contract versus government, uh, not know what company they belonged to, uh, because I valued their thought. I valued their skills. I valued their drive uh, to really get us all to the end state that we wanted. And a cool name probably helps, right? I mean, it, it does catch people's eye. Um, there are a lot of Star Wars fans. Uh, so it does help that we have something catchy. Uh, the Kessel Run background is that we had to smuggle DevSecOps into the Air Force because our uh, bureaucracy was just too much. Uh, so that's what we uh, really wanted to pull in on. It's just that smugglers alliance and being able to execute uh, the Kessel run in uh, under 12 parsecs. Epic. So epic. All right. like so guerrilla software development versus uh, <laughs> guerrilla warfare, I guess. Well, we, we had to do what we had to do to get stuff done, right? Uh, we like had to that. move us forward. Okay, Matt. So you mentioned a couple of times ATO or what it's authority to operate, right? Authorization to operate. Yes. Authorization to operate. Thank you. I, can you explain that to the audience? I don't think a lot of people grasp what that truly means or I guess what it used to mean compared to what it might mean now in this Kessel Run style environment because it, it's a truly grueling process for a lot of organizations. It is. Uh, so within the, I'll just call it a legacy process, you know, doing the software development in that waterfall methodology, an authorization to operate is a security review. It's going through and trying to ensure that the software that you're writing uh, is going to be able to be accessed and used by the warfighter, but in a secure manner. Traditionally, whenever we would start our authorization process, 
we would allot 12 months to go through this. Now, this is outside of the development process. This is, this is outside <laughs> of all the other bits and pieces that I mentioned. So we would have, you know, the program managers, which at one uh, part of my career, I was one. And we would sit there and have to just generate all the documentation. We would have to go through and uh, respond to a bunch of different controls. And then depending upon who the authorizing official was, then they may have other requirements, additional requirements that we had to meet. Maybe they would require us to go through a third party pen testing, or maybe they, uh, you know, had a list of what we call controls, uh, really just configuration items, compliance type uh, settings. Uh, we may go through a standard set of them, but then they say, oh, by the way, because your application is used here, uh, we also want you to go through this other list um, just to kind of add on to it. Now, I will say that it's not only technical controls that are technical guardrails that we were monitoring. It was also business processes uh, trying to say, okay, what is your acquisition plan? What is, uh, you know, your uh, incident response plan? You know, how are you doing all this? What's your backup strategies and all of these uh, different bits and pieces that would need to get reviewed just to get that authorization to operate. Now, what we've done within these software factories is that we've, we're still using those authorizations to operate. You know, we haven't changed uh, that core principle, but rather we did it for the orchestration platforms. Uh, and what I mean by that is the mission applications, the individual apps that warfighters are needing, uh, they're sitting on top of an authorized environment. Um, so, you know, think of it as uh, you have your platform, you have uh, just your stand, and then you want to uh, just host a bunch of things on a single server. We wanted to authorize that platform uh, and then the applications themselves can go through a different process uh, to validate that the code is where it needs to be, that the security of the application of the container that it's being used in uh, is where it needs to be. So now we can actually target that assessment, not have to focus on the bigger business processes because we already got that within our authorization. Yeah. Now we can actually put uh, the focus on where it needs to be, which is the mission application that is being used by the warfighters and uh, getting out into the field. Awesome. You're listening to Upstream, the software supply chain security podcast brought to you by Encore. We're speaking with Matt Houston, CISO at Platform One. So I kind of see what you're saying is by making this foundational platform with Platform One or Kessel Run and making sure that that could meet all the rules and the processes that you needed to be authorized to operate, that gave you kind of a jump start or a head start. So the applications that you built on top of it could kind of almost inherit that groundwork that you've done. So, you know, talking about foundations on this podcast, we've also talked quite a bit about the foundational role that SBOMs software bills of material play in securing the software supply chain. And we see them as a starting point, not an ending point. We start with the software bill of materials, then you use that to better identify security issues and better secure your application. Now, in February, you gave a briefing on SBOMs to the Secretary of the Air Force. So what's your position on SBOMs? Where do you think they fit in around software supply chain security? Sure. And, um, you know, just to make sure that we can all level set, uh, an SBOM is not something that's necessarily new. 
It's been included uh, within the software development world for as long as I've been a computer programmer. Uh, so one of my very first authorizations to operate back in uh, the early 2000s, um, we had to output our dependency tree. Uh, we had to dive in and say, okay, what is the dependencies that I have? What are their dependencies? And then dive all the way down through the entire tree. Uh, SBOM, the software bill of materials, is just that. It's a bill of materials. What is included in this application, in this uh, deliverable, in this uh, thing that we're trying to put onto our production networks? Um, so it has a new name, software bill of materials, um, but it's it's really drawing the attention to where it needs to be. Uh, we have to recognize that within our dependencies uh, and within the dependencies of our dependencies, there could be security risk. Um, so the SBOM uh, is in essence that dependency tree that we need to know what is included in our software. Now, just generating this dependency tree, generating this list is completely useless unless we have a tool uh, that can actually yes. read it and do something with it. Uh, and I think that's uh, really where, you know, what we're trying to do is draw the attention to that concept uh, and really put the focus on that. Um, since we started these factories, you know, even, you know, before that, there have been tools uh, such as Anchor or, you know, varying other tools that use the SBOM as a foundation uh, to go in there and look at those dependencies, go out to, you know, the NIST National Vulnerability Database, look to see if there's any known vulnerabilities, go into, you know, some of the other CVE databases that are used by various tools uh, and really try to, you know, pull out that information so that way we know if there are any types of concerns within some of those dependencies. Uh, and it can be, you know, the name dependencies that you're bringing into the application or even the application in and of itself. Uh, what I mean by that, if you're using a COTS-based product, if you're uh, bringing in a tool, there could be a CVE that is associated with that high-level level tool, uh, as well as each of its sub-dependencies. Um, so what we're doing now is uh, the executive order is coming out and saying, okay, well, thou shalt have a SBOM. Uh, so we are trying to center on uh, a couple of different frameworks for generating that. Cyclone DX is one of them, but there's still a couple. We're trying to figure out what metadata we want on our dependencies. Uh, so it's one thing to name the file, uh, but if we can try to put some governance around that so we know who wrote that dependency, who the author of that is, um, you know, and various other different bits and pieces, then we can uh, just dive that much more into it. Uh, so we can use our SBOM, our software bill of materials, to really go after the supply chain, to really track down where that came from uh, and if there's risk uh, from a business perspective. So we can try to even predict if there's going to be foreign influence coming into the company that yes, today the dependency may not have any known vulnerabilities, but there's a higher likelihood that you know we could be introducing a an open door for a foreign entity, an adversary to really just walk right into our application. So you just said COTS. What is COTS? Uh, yeah, uh, COTS is commercial off the shelf. Uh, what that refers to is a lot of uh, the vendors that are going out there and uh, they're trying to sell their products that you know we are able to purchase and consume, uh, but they're a commercial entity. Uh, right. So from within the, the government landscape, that would be uh, like going out and actually purchasing uh, the Anchor tool to you know be embedded within our system, uh, and then you know that would be a COTS product. We also have products referred to as GOTS. Uh, 
which is government off the shelf. Um, and again, that's internal to the government stuff that we've written uh, that we can then pass around to other organizations that we can then reuse. Uh, so that's uh, the difference between the two different terminologies. Awesome. Thank you. Cots and cots and gots. I feel like I'm in like Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory <laughs> and like it's going to make some little candy that's going to come out of some machine. <laughs> I like it. Um, okay. So, so the interesting thing that you talked about is S bombs for, I think the stuff that you're building, uh, but, and the dependencies, which often are open source dependencies, but also potentially S bombs for cots and gots so that your, you know, suppliers essentially are going to have to supply you those software bill of materials. So one of the things that we see happening and one of the big benefits that we see with the software bill of materials is once you have that, and let's say you've now deployed or shipped a piece of software, put it in a fighter jet or wherever you guys might put that software, you can maintain that software bill of materials. And now you can continue to evaluate it for new issues that arise, right? So at the time that you build it, you look and you say, hey, this component has these vulnerabilities and we've addressed them or remediated them in some way. But now later on, new vulnerabilities may show up. And so with that software bill of materials, you can go look at the new set of vulnerabilities that's come up. Is that something you guys are thinking about as well as how you might use a, an SBOM? Absolutely. Uh, so all of our uh, processes that we're really pushing within these software factories is centered around that continuous monitoring. Um, at the very forefront, the reason that, you know, we wanted the code scanned with every commit is because, you know, we know that zero days happen every single day. Uh, so we want to try to put that out in, in the forefront and be doing constant scanning. Uh, so that way we can see as those zero days are coming out, what is vulnerable and what the concern is. Uh, so even within you know, our approved product list known as Iron Bank, we are taking in the COTS products. We are executing those same scans and looking at the software bill of materials every day. Uh, it has a 24 hour uh, window, in which case it will automatically kick off another scan uh, and then look to see if there are any new vulnerabilities, uh, in which case people can subscribe and see if there's um, you know, something that they're concerned about that gets flagged as having a potential vulnerability. Well, I can say that I, for one, am really happy to hear really all these modern and very advanced and innovative security and software practices that people like you are putting into place yep. for the DOD and the federal government. That makes me sleep a little better at night. And Matt Houston, it's been great to hear from you. Thank you for joining us on Upstream. And thanks to everyone listening. You've come to the right place for great discussions of the big issues impacting the security of the software supply chain. Subscribe and never miss an episode. Upstream is available everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you learned something new, be sure to share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us on Upstream, brought to you by Encore.